This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now joining me here is the host of the Augusta Golf Show, John Patrick. You can check out his show at AugustaGolfShow.com. John has been covering the Masters for 35 years. And outside of maybe a handful of players, nobody knows the tournament, the course, and the impact that that tournament has had on golf history better than John does. And I'm very delighted taking time out of his busy schedule to join me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, John, thanks for coming on the show. Chris, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, John, before we get into all the all the Augusta and Master stuff, I got to ask you a question. You come so highly recommended by two of my my uh, two of the people I love more than anyone on the planet, and that's Mitch and Matthew Lawrence. You got to explain to me how did you get hooked up with those two guys? Um, we did time together down in Vidalia, Georgia. No, uh, <laughs> you know, actually, actually, my relationship with Mitch. Uh, came from my relationship with the late Jim Huber. Um, I love Jim and, and Jim kind of turned me on to Mitch. And obviously when you meet Mitch, uh, Matthew comes along as sort of a, you know, BOGO. Um, so, so, so that's, so that's kind of, that's, that, and that's actually how it happened. It was, it wasn't much more complicated than that. Um, Mitch was the one that picked up the phone on that January 2nd, seven or eight years ago to tell me that Jim had passed away. Uh, so I, that, that, that's how that relationship began. Uh, to this day, uh, the lady that I'm with just for some reason just can't believe she knows Matthew Lawrence because she grew up watching Beverly Hills 90210. So she just, she has a great time whenever we're with Matthew, but. Um, they're good boys. They're good boys. I, they don't really talk about the time we did down inside the other head much as I do. <laughs> good to know. All right. I appreciate that. So, John, um, g- give me the background. How'd you get started covering the Masters? Well, uh, I'm 41 years in radio, uh, disc jockey for most of those years. Just a, you know, platter push and pop up, playing the hits. And, um, I moved here in 1984. My first day in this city was the Saturday of the third round of the 84 Masters. And, and my boss, uh, at the time would be my boss, you know, welcoming me. I'm the new employee. So you're kind of treated special for about a week. They, um, said, you want to go to the Masters tomorrow? Now, absolutely. So I went to the final round of the 84 Masters. I have apologized to Ben Crenshaw profusely on numerous occasions that I didn't see anything he was doing on that back nine because I wanted to see all the things I grew up, you know, watching. Because, yeah, I had no idea if I'd ever set foot on those grounds again. So I went and watched Jack play the back nine, and I went and watched Watson, and I went and watched all the guys that grew up watching. No idea. Ben was snaking in some putt on and I don't know that I could have told who won the golf tournament by the end of that afternoon because I was just soaking all the rest of it in. And then 85 was the first year I actually had my press credential and covered it. Uh, still a disc jockey. I, you know, it's, it's unusual in this town. We, we stopped down the music format to cover the Masters because of how big it is. So for many of those years, I was a, you know, 51 weeks out of the year, a 
a morning show disc jockey and for one week out of the year covering the Masters. And I've been doing it since since 1985. Um, kind of came off the air 11, 12 years ago and and still covered it for the radio station for whom I had worked. And, uh, and now back at a radio station doing a daily morning show on a news talk covering it now. So, yeah, this, you know, if this all goes as planned, November is 36 and April is 37 of them. So for most of us, at least they're, they're my age, and, and I'm, a, I'm a, about a week shy of my 55th birthday, but growing up, Jack Nicholas was my guy, 86, outside of perhaps the, the 1980 U.S. hockey team, eight, the 86 Masters might be the greatest sporting event that I've ever witnessed, and uh, certainly most special to me. So very early on in, in your time there, you get to go cover the 86 Masters. What was it like being on the ground for that? Well, I was a Nicholas sycophant as a child. I was the guy on the putting green, you know, position with my elbows pointed out and the open stance, you know, putting like Jack, the little piston motion. Um, so I, I couldn't believe what was happening that Sunday. Yeah, he birdies nine. That was kind of neat. And then he birdies 10. Wow, that was interesting. When he birdied 11. I said, I have to go see some of this because, you know, at the time, Chris, in 1986, we were we were operating out of a honest to goodness Quonset hut um, at, at, at the Masters and, and the television watching it on TV was sketchy. You were really just kind of watching the guys post the scores. So I ran out. Well, and I had to do a report every hour. So I ran out to 12 to watch him part. 12. I'm sorry, to bogey. 12. I watched him bogey. 12. And then I watched him play 13. I watched him play 14. He hit his tee shot on 15. And as he's hitting his second shot, I'm actually, unbeknownst to me, I didn't realize I'd gotten in this position. But I'm standing next to Barbara when he hits his second shot wow. on 15 on the green. And and so I had to go now. I can't stay. I've got to rip to you. I've got to schlep back from the middle of 15 fairway back to the Quonset hut. And I get halfway three quarters of the way there and i hear the i hear the roar for the eagle but it's but it's the tee shot on 16 it's whatever it is now you know it's 34 years later to this day i have not heard the crowd roar like it roared for the tee shot on 16 to this day tiger included um i couldn't believe what i was a part of I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Um, it, 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 it's inexplicable. Um, it's, I, I, it, you know, I, you know, give, give a thought that it was my second master's again, you know, Chris, like everything else, maybe it's my last master's for all I know. I don't know that I'm doing this every year. Um, so I, I've told the story on, uh, with Mitch and Matthew that, um, and you may have heard, that night I go up to, um, uh, Jackie. And I asked Jack, and I, and I asked Jackie, because I'm 28 years old and don't know any better, can I have a golf ball from the bag? And Jackie gives me a golf ball. And so I then proceed to get a friend of mine here in town, Frank Christian, who for many years was the club photographer. I asked Frank for a photograph from that day. He, he sold the one of Jack raising his putter on 17. He sold that to the cover of Sports Illustrated. But he gave me the next frame. And then I got a duplicate of the scorecard. And that's a shadow box in the living room 
of a photo of Jack, a replica of the scorecard, and a ball from that round. So wow. it's just something personal for me. It's just something that that I've always that I want, that I treasure, that I like. We fast forward to nineteen uh, to two thousand six, I guess. No, two thousand sixteen. Thirty years later, and Jack is in the press facility talking about the tournament. And I see Jackie in the back of the room, and I go up to him and I said, "I have to ask you a question." And he said, "Yeah." And so I tell him the story. Uh, you know, nineteen eighty six. I come up to you as a twenty eight year old. I ask you for a golf ball. Jackie says. Please tell me I gave you one. That's my favorite part of the story. <laughs> I said, you did. He said, God, I thought this was going to be one of those stories. And I said, no. <laughs> I said, but here's the thing, Jackie. You know, it, it's a treasure to me. I don't really care about this, but you're here and I'm interested. It's, it's a Nicholas golf ball. And I said, I'm just curious if your dad used it in the round. And he said, so does it have two pencil marks as a marking next to the number? And I said, yes. He goes, what's the number? I said, one. He said, all right, well, here's what I can tell you. Yes, dad used it in the round. Dad had six golf balls in the bag. He changed out every three holes. John, I can't tell you if it bogeyed 12 or eagled 15. But yes, he did use it wow. in the round. I said, that's all, that's all I need to know. That's all I want to know. So wow. it, it was, it was, and I've, and I've loved Jack ever since. And Jack and I have gotten to know each other and he's mellowed through the years. But, but I, oh, I, for as long as I covered, and I've been there for all of Tiger. I was there for the slam. I was there for last year. It, it, nothing better than 86. Nothing better than 86. So now, now you've got me, uh, you know, I got all kinds of questions and I want to try to, you know, focus myself, but let, let me, let me fast forward a few years for you. 12 years later in 98, when he finishes six, but he makes the run. Do you remember what was, was, was it, you know, yes. Were the, people going crazy? The run was early. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, that's the other thing about 86 and 96. You know, the heart. And in 86, you know, I'm a neophyte in that room. Again, in the Quonset hut, the, the writers were sequestered in the middle of the Quonset hut. And all of the, the, the other media people, the lowly television and radio people, were kind of outside on the boundaries. But, the, but they all went wild in 86. And they did the same thing when Jack is making the run. Now, you know, it kind of petered out relatively early, but but still, it, that place, that place, even for Tiger, it it got more excited for Jack when Jack would do those sort of things um, than any other player that I've that I've seen out there in 35 years. So yeah, it everybody kind of everybody kind of perked up and started paying attention uh, when Jack made that run. So John, uh, more painful to watch. Norman's collapse in 96 or Spieth in 2016? Oh, easily, easily, Norman, easily. I mean, that was, that was, that was probably the saddest day I've ever spent out there. Um, he was, it was a coronation. It was going to be everything we'd hoped this guy would have. You know, Greg was Greg and Greg was good looking and Greg was dashing and, and the shark. And this was, he was going to get that green jacket. He was going to get to come to dinner you know, every Tuesday night for the rest of his life of Masters Week. And to watch it happen, to watch it unfold as it did, was it, it, when you thought it couldn't get more painful, it got more painful. When you thought something else couldn't go wrong, it went wrong. And what, was, what, what seemed different about that day, as opposed to the other times, you know, we, we watched Greg lose to Larry Mize, and you've watched Greg lose in, in other major championships. 
this one, this one was Greg doing it to himself. You know, it, it wasn't Larry Mize chipping in. It wasn't Bob Tway out of the bunker. Greg just kind of imploded. Now, I, I wholeheartedly agree with the folks who say Nick doesn't get credit for the round that he shot. He doesn't. But but Greg just imploded, and it was so, so painful to watch. What about um, Patrick Reed in, in 18? Has there, has there been a more unpopular winner <laughs> while you've been there you than know, Reed? Yeah, you know, you know, Chris, um, in the mid '80s with Bernhard Langer and the Europeans doing what they did, they were not popular at all. I mean, that was there was a there was I think the word golf clap was invented when those guys won. <laughs> um, you know, Patrick, Patrick, and I have an interesting history. I've known Patrick for uh, eleven years now. I played golf with Patrick when he went to Augusta University, Augusta State at the time. Um, Patrick, the Patrick Reed that I see today is the Patrick Reed that I knew 11 years ago. Not one thing is different about him. That's exactly the way he was then. It's how he is now. I give him all the credit in the world for being consistent. Um, it, that's not to say the stories aren't true. Every story you've heard is true. Uh, but that, but that is Patrick. Yeah. I, it was, you know, it, it, it took me back to the mid 80s. You know, it did take me when the, when the crowd reacted like the crowd reacted throughout that afternoon. Um, it was so it was surreal for me again because I've known Patrick for eleven years, um, and he doesn't see a whole lot of friendly faces when he looks out into the press into the press contingent. Um, so I I have kind of a different feeling and spin on Patrick. So take it to that next level. What what do you see in Patrick Reed that everybody else doesn't? Oh, I, you know, I, the, I, two things. Um, here's the first thing. What Patrick tells me, there was a rift between his parents and Patrick. Now, has Patrick, has Patrick taken this a bit too far? Yes. Do I think he should have had his parents kicked off golf courses when they were trying to watch him play golf? Absolutely not. But his parents were no angels through, through his college career. Um, it was painful to watch the relationship they had. It was painful to watch the way he interacted with his dad. And I think, and I think, you know, he's been portrayed as the villain. They've been portrayed as, you know, the poor parents. It is, that is not the case. You know, he's been a little harsh, but they, they were harsh at their time. He has taken it to another level. Um, his will to win. Uh, I don't, I will not bet against him at all, ever, when it's one-on-one in a match play, in a Ryder Cup, in a President's Cup. There was no way Chris, there was no way he was losing that Masters that year. I think he missed a putt on 18. It would have given him maybe a four or five shot lead or a three or four shot lead. And I thought he makes this putt. There's, he's, he walks to this championship because he is not going to lose it. I've, I've known him long enough to know it's the only thing he ever wanted. I watched him have a conversation with Peter Uline when, when Peter won the U.S. Amateur and qualified for the Masters and, uh, and and Uline's team came here to play against Augusta State. We we have a boys tournament the weekend before the Masters every year. And and Uline did not play because he was prepping for the for the Masters. And and he said to Patrick, you know, and 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 they had won the national championship. And he said, I envy your national championship. And Patrick just kind of shook his head. I don't envy that. I envy what you're going to get to do this week. Patrick has always coveted the Masters. He's always he's, he's loved Tiger. Um, so 
I just, you know, I, he's a competitor, competitor to the very end. He has not said anything that has surprised me. The, the top five comments, uh, that doesn't surprise me at all. It's, it's just the way he is. It, it, he's, he's driven. Um, I think he's, I, I'd like to see him, I'd like to see him soften a bit. I'd like to see him bring some more people in. I think it would make him happier. Um, I think Tiger has discovered through the years and through his tough time that he can be happier this way. I'd like to see Patrick do some of that. Let's switch gears a little bit. And I uh, mentioned Jordan Spieth, but I want to get your thoughts on, on Spieth. And uh, obviously in the years have come, you know, come and gone since, um, since the collapse. Um, but Augusta National seems to be a place where he still actually feels okay. I mean, we saw him finish third in 18. Um, we saw him make a little bit of a run in, in, in some of the tournaments since the collapse. Y- your thoughts on speed. Do you think he can get it back? Oh, I think he can get it back. I think they can all, I think they can all get it back. I, I had a friend of mine say once, which I've always found interesting, uh, good putters when they lose it, never get it back. Um, I don't know that Patrick, I mean, I don't know that Jordan has lost it. I, I, I was never a big Jordan Spieth ball striking fan. I thought he lived and died by his putter. And when his putter went south, um, he then put pressure on his, on his, on the rest of his game. When his, when his putting went south, he needed to hit it closer. In order to hit it closer, he needed to drive it better. And I think it just led him down a horrible path. And I think he's working hard to get it back. And I, I don't know if it begins with his, with his golf game and his ball striking or his putting. Uh, he seems to have the putting back a little bit, but, um, I've just, it's just the way I've always looked at Jordan. You know, he's, he, he's struck the ball very well at, on many occasions, but I've just always felt if his putting wasn't working, then Jordan was not a factor. What about Ricky Fowler? We keep waiting for Ricky Fowler to emerge and he's a guy that I'm, I'm starting to feel is very similar to Matt Kuchar, always around the top 10. Always, you know, sort of in contention, but hasn't yet got been able to get over the hump, at least in a major. What are your thoughts on Ricky? You know, I, I, I think Ricky is too nice. I don't think Ricky has the killer instinct that Patrick Reed has, and that's what I think Ricky needs. I think Ricky needs to bear down a little bit more and not not love his life as much, not not be quite as comfortable as he is with being Ricky Fowler. And I think he, he's got a really learn to want it. And I don't think he wants it yet. I, I think there are an awful lot of guys out there who, who, who make a wonderful living and have a wonderful life finishing fifth. Um, and, and, and don't have the spotlight, don't have the pressure, uh, don't have to deal with what the things, kinds of things that Tiger deals with. So if for Ricky to step up, I think Ricky's got to find it in himself to really want it. And I'm not sure I, I, when he's just so darn nice when you're around him. Um, I, I, I don't think he's there yet. So John, take us, take us to places that most of us will never get an opportunity to go like inside the clubhouse, inside the locker room. What's it like going inside the Augusta national locker room? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's very nice. It's the, the champions locker room is very small. Um, for the most part, you know, and I think you know, everyone's kind of seen the photos by now. Many of the champions share lockers with other champions because there just aren't that many lockers in there. And they, the last few years, they kind of took up more room by putting a display of a green jacket and the trophy in there. Um, the locker room, the, the regular players locker room is, 
It's kind of like anything you'd expect a locker room to look like. Uh, a lot of linoleum there in the restrooms and, and, uh, and, and some of the best, some of the best dolls in the world, Chris. That's all I'm saying. Um, but, but, you know, it, it is why I love the place. It is so understated. It is, you could not feel more comfortable as a guest there when you come to play. Um, the members, the members are kind of on edge, making sure that you don't do anything wrong. But as a guest, they roll out the red carpet for you. And, 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 and it is a great, great treat to get to play that golf course as a guest because you are treated royally. You would think you're the member the way they treat you there. Um, it, again, it's understated. It's oldish. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's certainly not modern on the inside. It's, it's, it's very clean. It's very neat. It's very tidy. Um, I probably was there, boy, I don't know, 15, 20 years. I, I never thought about it. How to get to the crow's nest. You, you have to know how to get to the crow's nest. It's kind of, it's almost like a bookshelf from Harry Potter that moves to get up to the crow's nest. But, but, you know, it, it is to me the, the pure definition of what a perfect private golf club should be. You know, they don't, they don't flaunt the money in your face. They're not, uh, they're not, the, the, the meals aren't gargantuan. The, it's not over the top. It's just so southernly subtle that it's just wonderful. So who are some of the, you know, legends? And I, and I've heard you tell the, the story about Gene Sarazen, but who are some of the people that you've run into in the clubhouse that you then got an opportunity to sit down and talk to? Uh, boy, sit down and talk to you. Um, yeah, you've heard, you've heard my, my story years ago. I'll, I'll do it again. Years ago, um, many years ago, when it, at the top of the clubhouse, it was just, it was bare. Now it's a dining area with a lot of tables and people sitting to eat, but there was nothing up there in the eighties and early nineties. You'd walk out of the, walk out of the, uh, of the, the top of the clubhouse and there'd be two chairs on either side of the door. And, and one day I walked out of that door and sitting to the right was Gene Sarazen. So I sat down in the empty chair to the left and we just had a 30 or 40 minute conversation about a lot of things, different things. Um, how things have changed, the wedge, the sand wedge, just as much as I could kind of, kind of talk to him about. And then a few years later, out of three, four, five years later, and, and your listeners may, may, may know this name, may not know this name. I, uh, same thing happened. I came out of that, I came out of that door. I sat in the chair this time. And then coming out of the door, sitting in the other chair was a fellow by the name of Alistair Cook, um, who people might remember from PBS and I think Masterpiece Theater and, and a, and a longtime writer, uh, British papers. Uh, and we had a wonderful conversation. He, I, I just, I just love hearing him tell stories, you know, through the years. It, 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 it is almost forgettable the people that you've that you've run into. I will tell you, I will tell you the only one that I've kind of made a point of tracking down, stalking, if you'd like to use that word. Um, when Greg Norman played so well in the Open Championship and qualified for that Masters late in his career, I don't remember the year, um, but he was still married to Chrissy Everett. Chris, I hunted her down for three days to just shake her hand and tell her how much, to tell her how much I, it was a pleasure to meet her. 
how much I enjoyed, you know, watching her play tennis. Um, it was, that's, I, I, that may be, if I think about it, that may be the only one I've really kind of, again, stalking is probably the proper word. Um, <laughs> the only one I've really tried to make sure that, you know, she was not getting off those grounds because I didn't think Greg would be there Saturday. She was not getting off those grounds with me not finding her and speaking to her at some point. John, looking ahead to uh, to this year's rescheduled tournament in November, and I was talking to my uh, previous guest, Tom Patry, about this. And uh, I'm here in Atlanta, and it, it's typically cold once we get to about Halloween. So I'm guessing... You know, the greens and the fairway is going to be maybe a little bit harder and a little bit faster than uh, than normal. The sun's going to be in a different part of the sky. So maybe the grass grows a little bit different direction than it normally does. And, and we're not going to see the azaleas. It's going to be a lot greener than we're used to. But your thoughts on what a Masters in November might be like? Well, you know, and I heard you guys talking as I was waiting to come on. Uh, see, we think here in Augusta, no, as as for those of us that play golf 12 months out of the year, November is the best month for golf that we have. And, and you know this from Atlanta. We're coming out of the hot season. We're coming out of the brutal season. We're coming out of summer. And we get a lot of Indian summer. It, it lasts a long time. The weather in November here is spectacular. The club opens. The club opens in October. And, 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 and you know, it gets its first, first rounds of play in November. I will say this, um, and Gary Player's on the show this weekend, and he brought this up, and I had been saying this since all of this talk about a rescheduled Masters was coming up. He and I both agree that it will be a Bermuda grass golf course. Um, it will have really? grass green. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I played the course in, the, in November. The rye is awful. It's scruffy. It's nasty. They can't get it going by November. Um, I mean, the essence of that golf course is they overseed the heck out of it and plant that rye and then nurture that golf course from the moment it opens in October until everybody is there in April. That's, that's how they get it, the way it looks in April. They baby that thing for five or six months to get it to look that way. But in November, yee, yee. Um, so it, it, I, I think it's going to be a Bermuda golf course. Um, and, 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 and think of what the, think of what Eastlake looks like in September, Chris. It's beautiful. They got the Zoysia fairways, yeah. but it's beautiful. I mean, they don't have bent grass greens anymore, but those greens, the last two tour championships have been immaculate. So, so they will have the bent grass greens. And if you play the golf course in November, the caddies will tell you, well, you know, it's not master speed because it's the fall. Well, it's plenty fast enough. Um, and, and if they want to cut them down for the week and, you know, maybe, maybe have some trouble with them afterwards, they can fix that. I, I just believe it's going to be a Bermuda golf course. And then, and then they'll have the challenge, frankly, of, of getting rid of the Bermuda and getting it back to rye from November to April, which that's where I think their wherewithal and their money and their ability to do anything to a golf course, that's where it will come into play. Um, I think they'll, I think at some point this summer, I mean, nobody plays the golf course in the summertime and there's no better time to grow Bermuda than right now and, and what's about to happen. So I think they'll have a beautiful Bermuda golf course. Uh, come November. John, just a couple more before I let you go. Um, the Augusta National Club has obviously been growing from a length perspective over the last several years. They bought up Berkman's Road and, and, and extended five. And um, 
we heard a couple of years ago that they had bought a plot from the Augusta you know, Country Club and we're going to extend, you know, maybe the 13th tee back a little bit. Your thoughts on, on what they've been doing and what, what the future of the golf club is as it continues well, to reach out? You know, I think, I think the chairman made it pretty clear uh, at last year's press conference. He will back up 13. I'm, I'm not a fan of that. They, orig- they bought that land specifically. They had a member have, a, have an, a medical incident during the tournament down around Amen Corner a few years ago. And they realized at that point they don't have the wherewithal. They did not have the ability to get medical personnel to that part of the golf course in the time needed to do that. So the land that they bought back behind 11, 12, and 13T was primarily purchased as, as another road to have, to have access to the golf course at a moment's notice if needed. Now, does give them the opportunity to back up the 13th tee. Frankly, Chris, I would love to see them. I don't think Billy Payne wanted anything to do with messing with the golf course and messing especially with Amen. Um, he, he did everything he did off the golf course, the infrastructure, the media center, the, the, the pro shop, the, me, the merchandise shop, all of that. He, he didn't mess with the golf course one bit in his tenure, really, truly. Um, but, 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 but Chairman Ridley kind of made it clear, you know, he kind of laid it at the feet of the USGA and the RNA. If they don't roll back the ball, he's going to be forced to do this. I'd like to see them lower it a little bit and move it to the left and force the players to take it right. To, you know, that it'd be really hard to bend it around the turn. Um, force them, force them to hit it out to the center of the fairway to the right and give them 220 or 225 or 230 for a second shot to then kind of let them go at it. That's, and they could do that very easily. And it, I, I don't think it would, I, I just don't think it would be the same thing as, you know, moving that thing back 45 yards. I, I hate to see a mess with Amen Corner, but that, that's me. I, 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 I'm, I'm fascinated by the people. Payne fascinated me for years. He seemed like a traditionalist. He seemed like, you know, how much he was a stalwart of the traditions of the game, but he wasn't afraid to mess with things. Um, I, for some reason, you know, the chairman Ridley has said he's given all the impression it's moving back. I'll be curious with this open window, you know, that they didn't expect to have. Could it be moved back by the fall? I don't know. You know, it doesn't because because now this is their window. Um, they don't, you know, they if they don't move it back for the fall masters, it won't be moved back for the spring masters. So this would be the window to do it. Be curious to see if he does it here. John, I am endlessly fascinated to hear all of your stories. And boy, I could I could talk to you for days about all of this stuff. And I can't thank you enough for being generous with your time and coming and being a part of the show. Let our listeners know how they can follow you and listen to your show. Um, uh, the Augusta Golf Show runs in about eight different Southeast markets. It's also available on the iHeartRadio app. It's also available, as we like to say these days, Chris, on your uh, home speakers and all of your connected devices. Um, if you just <laughs> ask Alexa to play the Augusta Golf Show, uh, by golly, Alexa will do that. Um, so, and and as, as you mentioned in the introduction, the website is AugustaGolfShow.com. Uh, Twitter is at Augusta Golf Show, uh, and, and that's kind of what it is. You know, we're just we're just a couple of guys, Chris, just trying to you know scrape by doing golf shows. <laughs> Well, John, again, thank you so much for coming and sharing your stories. I hope you'll come back and join me again sometime because now I got a million questions I'd, I'd love to get your well, insights and thoughts on. 
anytime. And you and you said to me, I will return what you said to me. You opened up this whole thing by talking about me being highly recommended by those two idiots. Um, you, you, you come so highly recommended to me. I have heard about you and this show for a very long time. Yes, from those two guys, but from a whole lot of other people, too. So congratulations on everything that you've wow. done with this. Um, it well-deserved, well-deserved. Well, I appreciate you saying that very much. That means a great deal to me, John. You're the best, my friend. I, like I say, I hope I get the opportunity to catch up with you soon. And uh, in between now and then, stay, stay, stay healthy. All the best to you and your family. Thank you, Chris. Take care, John. Thank you. That's a great John Patrick. I, folks, I don't know that it gets better than that. Um, he is a, a tremendous host. He's got a great show, and his knowledge is just, I meant, like I said, I, and I mean this sincerely, I'm endlessly fascinated to hear the stories and listen to the way that he tells the story. I think both are fantastic. And uh, I just hope we get the privilege of getting John back on the show again soon. So much, so much master's history, so much knowledge. And I don't think it's just tied to the masters listening to some of the other things that he's done. And again, I guess the golf show.com go check it out. I mean, there's a, he, he did an interview years ago with Doug Sanders and rest in peace, Doug Sanders. That was uh Horrible news that we all got uh, here this week on the passing of Doug Sanders, but he had an opportunity to talk to him, I want to say, about 10 years ago, and it's on there. Rick Riley, I mean, the the amount of great uh, stories and uh, uh, people that he has had as guests on his show is fantastic. It's, it's, a, it's a long list, and it's a very distinguished one, and John does such a great job as a host. I, I can't recommend his show highly enough. I started listening uh, probably several months ago when uh, both Mitch and Matthew told me what uh, what a great host that uh, that John was. And I went out to, to check out his website and then just started cycling through all of his great segments. And there's and there so many of them. So I can't recommend the show highly enough. And like I say, hopefully we get the privilege of catching up with uh, John again real soon. 